We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. All right, welcome to Revolution. I'm Caleb. Jay is out of town, so I'm talking today. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to talk about Daniel. First off, though, I wanted to share an interaction that I had last night on Instagram. So through a series of events, um, I was, I became involved with this uh, group chat, kind of, you know, group message thing on Instagram. Um, it's mostly made up of evangelical uh, preachers, or those are the ones who are the most vocal in there, uh, very fundamentalist. And like we talk about here all the time, you know, we it, I think it's very important to try to build bridges with people and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, not to ramble, but the way that this group was uh, set up, it was uh, a friend of mine who, he's really good at taking initiative and, and, and seeing where there's possible interactions and communications that could be you know edifying, I guess, to use a Christian term. And um, so yeah, he set up this group, and then the first post on there was the, uh, after the, my friend introduced the group and kind of introduced everybody, uh, was a pastor who shared a video uh, from a sermon that he gave, I guess, or I'm not sure uh, the source of the video, but it was essentially this guy saying, um, if you give a thirsty homeless person a cup of water without giving them the full gospel and without telling them that they're damned, unless they repent, then you're doing them a disservice. He's saying that there's, there, is no, there is no positive effect from giving a, a homeless, thirsty person a cup of water unless you also evangelize to them. And that rubbed me the wrong way. You know? And then, so anyway, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't really say anything. I, I tried actually to, to start a few uh, casual conversations. Like one of the videos the guy uploaded was him. Uh, he's like walking around outside on the video while he's talking about you know, some... Uh, kind of fundamentalist theology. And then, so I just, I didn't like anything that he said in the video, but I responded, uh, hey, what are, where, where are you walking to outside? And he's like, oh, I was walking my dog. And I was like, oh, cool, what type of dog? I love dogs. And just tried to have, you know, a conversation that wasn't focusing on the theology stuff that we obviously uh, didn't agree on. And so he kind of interacted a little bit, but then just went back to all his rhetoric. Anyway, uh, so last night, same guy posts, uh, and maybe, maybe it's like a sermon outline or something. But the gist of it, it's about the rapture, and uh, it's a 10-slide-long presentation, and he says in it multiple times, uh, you know, we, you have to repent, and repent, the end is near type of stuff, you know, that Jesus was always screaming about. Jesus running around, repent, repent. Just joking, Christ was not <laughs> about that message. Anyway, uh, so yeah, he's just going on and on and on about, uh, you have to, everyone has to repent, um, hashtag rapture ready. Okay, so repent before it's too late. Come to God through uh, Christ Jesus and all this stuff. So, okay, fine. But then he, it was it was so pointed and angry and aggressive and negative that I, I finally had to open my mouth. And this is the first time that I, that I interacted uh, about anything theological. And I'm just going to read through this real quick and then I'll, I'll get to my Daniel story. But I wanted to share this with you guys because this is kind of me venting, honestly. So he, he puts this presentation there, repent before it's too late about the rapture. And then I said, I'm going to read this. Uh, I said, WTF, I don't like this at all. Believe what you want, but coupling 
urgency of action towards salvation from an impending potential event of doom with a Calvinist adjacent presumption that the elite have been chosen and predestined just doesn't sit right with me. I'm not attacking you or your beliefs. This just comes off to me personally as kind of off-putting. Like, what's the end goal here? Growing and learning on the path God has granted you or tallying up gems on your crown? And he responded to me, he said, you need to be born again, repent of sin or perish. I said, I'm not challenging that premise, dude. He said, I just looked into your page, my Instagram page. I just looked into your page trying to help you by telling you you must be born again. Only way to see the kingdom of heaven. I said, thanks, man. He said, also, I'm praying for you. I want you to be in heaven. I said, likewise, I always appreciate genuine concern and love. And then he sent a post with this screenshot. His whole, so he said, I, I looked into your page. His page is, is all black background with big white and red font on it with all these accusatory negative Bible verses. Not, not a picture of himself, not a picture of his dog. Sounds like a nice, cute dog, but n- nothing personal at all. And, my, and maybe my page is too personal and too, uh, like maybe, maybe I, I, I lack a filter and this guy has maybe a better grasp on having a filter on social media than I do. But anyway, so since this post, he said, Jesus said, go and sin no more, all caps. When you profess Christ and you go on to live however you want, that's called self-deception. You create a God in your mind that is fine with your sins. Repentance does mean to turn away from your sins. And so that seemed to me very pointed and accusatory. So I said, hey, I'd love, love, love to stay engaged with this group. I just want to let you know that I used, to, I used to be all about apologetics of the Southern Baptist flavor. I'm here to engage and grow and be fully honest and real. Putting effort into getting to know someone is generally much more effective than throwing around prefab hand grenades that just echo tired phrases like repent, repent. I'm here to engage, though, if we can stay open and civil. Love you all in the group. Thanks for your effort and concern. Always reciprocated. He said, hey, what seems to be the concern? Let's talk with love and peace and charity. And then he said the... F- Fear of the Lord is New King, or is King James. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. And the he missed, I think it's forward. The forward mouth do I hate? What is it? Fro. That's how he spelled. I thought it was a misspelling. Forward. I don't know what that is. Maybe if I learn that word, I'll I'll be saved. Uh, he said, yeah, I don't know. So he, he said that to me. And I said, I said, yeah, we could have a scripture off or we could just get to know each other so we can communicate more effectively. And then after that interaction, my friend who started the group, who's a, a close friend of mine, his, his name is Ed. He's a great guy. Love that guy. Uh, he's a lot more conservative than I am, definitely. But uh, a very good friend and always well-intended in everything that he does. Uh, but so he messaged me afterward and he said, hey, I'm, I'm proud of how you handled that situation. And I said, you know, thanks for being... Uh, thanks for mediating and, and, and making this interaction happen. So anyways, and I'm, like I said, I'm just kind of venting. But uh, And also, you know what? I, I am a little bit bragging because I'm, I'm proud of myself. A lot, when I felt like this guy was attacking me, I, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to say stuff like, hey, your whole page is just prefab you know, BS or whatever. But it took some self-control, but I, 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 I am proud of myself for trying to engage and, and, and build a bridge and have a constructive conversation. Not to, not to say that I won't at some point maybe just um, block this group. You know, it could come to a point where for my own mental uh, well-being, I need to cut things off and set a healthy boundary there. But uh, anyways, that's my story. That's my... You're always supposed to start a sermon with like a little, like, this is what happened last week in my life.
Yeah, so we're talking about Daniel. Um, of course, it's uh, Old Testament. This is a great, interesting book, and it's all about Daniel, his buddies, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, right? Babylon. Built the hanging gardens. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar was an interesting dude. He was very insecure. Over and over again throughout this book, like every chapter is essentially a different story about him being uh, prideful and easily manipulated. Like he has this advisor guy who keeps popping up and then he has like a board of advisors. And Nebuchadnezzar is very insecure and always um, trying to maybe, it's like, it's essentially he has like a PR group, you know. He has his public relations department who's always like, hey man, oh, people are disrespecting you. You should go, go straighten that up. You should go teach them a lesson because you're so great. You're great. We think you're great. Don't you think you're great? Shouldn't you go teach them a lesson? So that, this kind of keeps happening over and over. It's kind of a motif of this story. And I'm not, I'm not going to focus on Nebuchadnezzar exclusively, but I think that's an important uh, context to take in with kind of the atmosphere that this this book unfolds in. Uh, so yeah, and, and I'm going to kind of go chapter by chapter just for a few of the first chapters and kind of summarize what's going on here. So in the first chapter, it kind of sets the scene. Daniel, Hananiah... Mishael and Azariah, uh, they're enslaved, they're, uh, they're, they're robbed of their culture and of, of their language. They're taught to speak uh, the language of their captors in Babylon. Uh, and it says it like three different times. Like, it, this is obviously important to the author, is that they are, it's like, nope, you can't, can't speak your original language. And this obvious, this, there's a lot of very obvious parallels with slavery in America. Uh, like in, in, in Roots, when the main character is given a new name and, you know, then, and, and everyone's forced to speak English and they can't speak their native tongue. So they're being stripped and robbed of their language and their culture and their names of their, of their identities of, of who they are. They're, they're forbidden, I guess, to uh, even acknowledge who they are and they're not allowed to observe their cultural identity in any way, they're even, and Vicky and I were talking about this on the way here, they're even stripped of their, of their diet. So they're vegetarians, and the Babylonians are trying to make them uh, oh, like only eat meat and only drink wine, which, you know, from a heart-healthy perspective, is probably not great for you. Um, but they, they're uh, forcibly kind of separated from their, their true selves and their culture, and let's say even if the uh, the health factor doesn't come in with like the diets or anything like that, it is still it is still insensitive. She's like, no, you you have to do things our way. You have to um, deny yourself essentially. You have to assimilate. Thank you. Yeah, they have to uh, be forcibly assimilated. So uh, Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and the latter three are renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why Daniel wasn't renamed. That's kind of weird, huh? No, he didn't get renamed. Hmm. Or maybe he's the author, and so he didn't want to say his slave name. I don't know. Um, so they're good-looking guys, and so the king's like, hey, round up all the good-looking slaves, and um, we're going to put them through a training program, teach them our language, teach them our culture, get them off their vegetarian diet. Um, so after 10 days, they go through this assimilation program, I guess. 
conversion therapy, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king because they, they got an exemption from the diet, essentially. They were like, no. Well, okay, well, they're like, we, don't, we think that we're better off just eating our, uh, our cultural diet. And um, they're like, uh, so that the captors, I guess, or the, whoever this, this staff, this poor brainwashed staff of people are like, okay, yeah, we'll prove it. You know, we'll give you 10 days uh, during this program. And so after, so they look healthier and better nourished than the young man who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables, fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. So these guys are dialed in. They probably they know that they're being abused. It sounds like, but they're um, they're working within the system, within the challenges that are in front of them. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams, which is very important because Daniel gains a lot of favor with Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar keeps having these like nightmares, these bad dreams that just haunt him and, and bother him. And um, because God gives Daniel this ability, he gains favor and he eventually. Um, becomes the ruler of a, a province, um, which makes a lot of the other, uh, the Babylonians jealous of him because he's, he's a slave, he's an outsider. So Nebuchadnezzar has these bad dreams and he turns to his own culture and his own uh, cultural kind of wisdom traditions for guidance. So he goes to his, his advisors. Uh, this is chapter two, by the way, in case you're following along. He goes to advi- his advisors and he's like... Uh, you know, I'm I am troubled, and I need I need help here. I need guidance, and uh, they try to interpret his dreams. It, it doesn't resonate with him at all, and so uh, he's he's dissatisfied. He's angry. He's probably not a bright dude, to be honest with you. Nebuchadnezzar does not sound like a bright dude. It's weird thinking about having a, a leader who's self-involved, and uh, you know, it's like how can we even relate with that? Like I don't even have a reference for that. Anyway, uh, I'm not going to say the T word. So they can't help him. Um, this unstable, insecure leader is looking to his own culture. They can't help him. Not to say that they couldn't help him in theory. Like Not to say there's not any uh, validity to the astrologers and magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers who he was looking to help him uh, process and digest what was going on, but they couldn't. And so... Um, in verse 5, chapter 2, it says, I, uh, The king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Pretty brutal. But if you do tell me what I dreamed, uh, or, or what, the, if you, what I dreamed and what the dream means, that's a tall order, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me, what, just tell me the dream and what it means. Um... And then so he thinks that they're trying to, 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 uh, to trick him, to dupe him, and um, he thinks they're lying to him. Eventually, anyways, um, he gets a hold of Daniel, uh, and this is very poetic. I wanted to read this, this part specifically, uh, because he gets a hold of Daniel. He's like, you know, help me interpret this dream, and that night, it was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So, so this is 
what was alluded to earlier about God helping Daniel understand and interpret dreams. I want to read this section. It's, it's nice and poetic. Uh, so Daniel says, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all the wisdom and all the power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He's revealed deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in the darkness. Though he's surrounded by light, I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors, for you've given me wisdom and strength. You've told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. So uh, just to summarize a little bit more, um, what keeps recurring with Nebuchadnezzar's dreams is they're all very politically centric. Obviously, this guy's obsessed with his, uh, his, his politics and his, his political standing in Babylon. And so all the dreams end up being about him and uh, the future of uh, his empire. And they're all very uh, you know, prophetic. And it's, so Daniel's pretty much, he's, I think he's not only telling Nebuchadnezzar what Nebuchadnezzar wants to hear, but maybe what he needs to hear. And so every time that Daniel helps, Nebuchadnezzar, helps shed light on what Nebuchadnezzar is asking of him with, by the way, uh, a massive potential consequence if he doesn't, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is like, he, he turns around, he's like, praise be to the God of your ancestors. He's like, oh yeah, you know, you, you guys know what you're talking about. He professes a faith and a conviction a, around the God of uh, of the Hebrew people, you know, around Yahweh. But then he, but then he goes back to his same old cycles and um, and ends up just repeating the same things over and over again, uh, the same mistakes and the same silly little petty, uh, yeah, petty mistakes. Um, so then, in 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 chapter three, more of Nebuchadnezzar's insecurity comes out. He builds a golden statue, um, and this is where it gets juicy. This is Veggie Tales made a, a story about this. What are the names uh, in the in the Veggie? Uh, it wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and it was like Benny instead of a Bendigo. It's Benny. It's oh Shadrad and Benny. That's what it is. A little hopping around vegetables, uh, telling Bible stories. So, uh, so he's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna. I think this is um, per his advisors once again. He's like, okay, I'm gonna build this golden statue, and this is after, by the way, he's professed faith in Yahweh, but he's back to his old ways. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this statue. You have to bow down or be thrown into the furnace, which is, again, more political, self-righteous BS. You know, he's like, uh, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, if, if we had a president who put, who put their face like on a flag and instead of saying the Pledge of Allegiance, or maybe even by saying the Pledge of Allegiance, like, or coin. That's a weird word to come up with that. But it's, it's like, if you don't pledge allegiance to me, because having them bow down, uh, in front of a statue is essentially, if you don't pledge allegiance to me, then um, I've got this big furnace, which I, I don't know if, if he already had the furnace or if he built the furnace. I mean, the guy built the hanging garden, so I'm sure he had some pretty good architects. But he has this furnace and an inferno, a hell, that he's going to throw anyone into if they break his his trite decree, his uh, self-centered, nearsighted, insecure decree. And so, essentially, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because Daniel's off, he's in favor with the king now, so he's not uh, part of this. I don't know if Daniel had to bow down to or not, but they don't say that in the book. But, um, so they, they say, no, we're not going to do that, that, you know, we've, uh, 
worked with you this far. We've uh, proven ourselves with the whole diet thing back there, that 10-day diet thing. Um, we've uh, taken on these new names. We're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego now. You know, we're, we're, we're working with you this far, but we are not going to bow to your statue because P.S. of the God that you've professed um, to be an important figure to you. I don't know if he said the sinner's prayer or anything or got baptized. <laughs> a little silly joke there. But, uh, but yeah, so, so it's like I, you've acknowledged our validity and the validity of our culture and our religion, but, and that is why we're not going to bow down to this statue. So then Nebuchadnezzar throws them into this furnace. Sounds also, you know, kind of sounds familiar. It kind of sounds like uh, maybe Dante's take on, on hell, which... It's interesting because, you know, Sheol in the Old Testament is, is a place of freezing. Uh, hell is, uh, in popular Western Christianity, a, a place of flames, of burning, of torture, of torment. Um, so he, like other, Nebuchadnezzar, like other uh, historical figures and dictators and um, fascists, is, is going to try to off these guys. Um, so he throws them in there. I think they're bound up, tied up. And... They're, they're going to watch this go down. They're going to watch these guys burn in the furnace. Um, and, he's, and then he turns to his, his advisor, and he says, wait, look in there. There's, there's, wouldn't we throw three guys in there who were tied up, and now there's four guys in there walking around? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God joins them in this hell. They, God, did, God didn't come to them in this, in this story, in the book, in the, in the, in the record, we don't see God coming to them and saying, hey, uh, if you're faced, if you're thrown in that furnace tomorrow, I got your back. I'm going to come 100%. I promise I'm going to you know, sign this in blood. I'll be there. But, but because of their convictions that don't align with the prescribed rules, which I think we can make parallels uh, with like religious rules there or expectations or cultural societal expectations, because we are convicted to act against this, we're going to face, you know, uh, a, a, maybe a physical parallel to damnation. We're going to face being thrown into this hell by this dictator. And then God shows up in there with, in hell with them. God shows up in hell with them, which is, you know, a little bit of a metaphor, but I, I think it's a potent one. In the midst of their, of their suffering and in the, in the face of death, like God shows up, and it's, prob- it's probably uncomfortable. They're probably feeling these flames. They're probably getting their skin, you know, burnt. But God is there with them in that suffering, in the trenches, in the, in the hell, in the furnace with them. Um, I think that's, that's a powerful thing to think about. Um, and it's, it, it also kind of reminds me of a works versus faith thing. Um, because they're, they're, it's not their works. It's not their obeying the law. It's not their obeying... Um, this dictator that saves them, that spares them. It's their, it's their faith. I want to say this too. Uh, this kind of just popped in my head. It's challenging to go against cultural norms, religious norms that might upset the people around you. And Robert, this makes me, me think of, of you with your hey bro bear, with your, what's it, your bro bear, Blog is that what it is? Brobearblog.com. What's that? Let me plug it. What's the actual address? Brobearblog.com. 
with the work that you do, man, like you've been pushed away by your society, by your family, by your loved ones, by your church, um, for sticking to your convictions. And, and maybe in some way you've been thrown into a furnace and God met you there. God was like, you are convicted and you are proud and you are doing work that is aligns with love and, and God's met you there and is with you there. And every time that you are called a slur or that you are being hurt, I think that God is right there next to you feeling those flames on his skin too, you know? So then this, this kind of pops up again later when, um, guess what? Nebuchadnezzar, he, uh, repeats his cycle and is, is, uh, kind of predictable again. He, his, so his advisors are getting jealous of Daniel. Daniel, uh, is a slave and everyone, you know, he's kind of one-upped all the astrologers and the, the, I guess, um, religious elite or, you know, in Nebuchadnezzar's life, he's predicted the dreams and probably this guy's probably got slaughtered. Actually, those original guys that didn't predict the dream, they probably got murdered and their families murdered too. But anyway, the, the remaining ones, whoever took their places are really jealous of Daniel uh, because he's a leader over a province. In chapter 6, he's, he's uh, delegated uh, to be a, a, a ruler over a province, which as a slave is a massive thing. And so Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance and insecurity pops up again. I'm going to actually read this real quick. This is verse 6 of chapter 6. So his advisors, okay, I'll start in verse 5. The advisors conclude, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel, for getting rid of this guy, who they're jealous of, will be in connection with the rules of his religion, because they know that he is faithful to his religion and, and his convictions. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We're administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors. The king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders for the next 30 days. Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, they're just kissing this guy's ass, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty, issue and sign a law so it cannot be changed. And this is just like so painfully, obviously manipulative. Like this guy's just missing. He's <laughs> just clueless. Um, it cannot be changed for the next 30 days. Can't pray to anybody but the king. An official law. Oh yeah, of the Medes. There you go. Medes and Persians. They cannot be revoked. Okay, so they're going to Darius. So Darius signed the law. When Daniel learned the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual to pray upstairs with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day as he'd always done. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the officials and the leaders see Daniel praying, and they, he, he, I wouldn't say he fell into their trap, but, but they knew um, from his behavior, yeah, they, they knew that, that that's what would happen. Um, so the king is, he didn't want to, the king loves Daniel, and the, and the king's real, <laughs> the king's upset. He, you know, he, Daniel does have favor with, with this king. So he gets, uh, the king's like, oh, crap. Like, I, I signed that thing. Can't be revoked. They said that three times. Should have been a red flag. Should have noticed that. Like, no exceptions. They, they got me there. So he throws Daniel in there, and he's stressing out. Um, and I, we all, I think we all know the story. You know, Daniel's thrown to the lion's den, and, and, and he lives uh, against all odds. Again, he's, he's thrown into hell. He is pushed away uh from favor, I guess, um, by 
sticking to his convictions. And I would suspect that if they could have watched Daniel in the lion's den, you know, in this story, um, like they watched Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the furnace, that I bet God, you know, God met him there. Uh, if you believe that as a, as a literal physical thing, or if, if you see that as a metaphor, uh, either way, I think it's powerful that he is true to his convictions and God, he's facing death and God meets him there. And I guess my point is even, hmm, I don't know how literal I should get with this. Even if Daniel had, uh, had died in the den, even if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had burned to death, one of the most, which is a very horrific um, proposition. Uh, and, you know, the, the furnace was heated to, to seven times the normal heat. And it was, it's horrific. It's horrifying. It's, it's awful. But even if, if they had faced that torture and that death and it had come to fruition, they were still holding to their convictions. Like with, going back to the example with you, Robert, like if someone, if, if, if someone had followed through maybe with, um, with a threat or with, with hatred and tried to um, maybe, and maybe even been successful in harming you, I, I suspect that your convictions would not have changed. And that even if the, let's use some more Christianese here. There's a lot of Christianese in my, in my sermon today. Um, even if the deceiver or if the enemy had been successful tearing you down, I don't think, uh, people, people, <laughs> people like you have resilience and cannot be changed and will not be changed. People like Daniel, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people like you, Vicky, who have been through some shit will not, will not be changed. But when you're facing that, even when you least suspect it, God can show up right next to you suffering. Not, not even just, there's a whole like footprints in the sand thing, you know, like I looked back and there were once, well, that's when I was carrying you. Maybe that's, maybe Jesus doesn't show up and carry you. I don't know even when that, in that poem where they're going down the beach. I don't know what the destination is, but they're walking down a beach for some reason. Maybe it's just because there's sand. I don't know. Um, but, Maybe you fall down in the sand on that beach and then Jesus lays down there right next to you. Maybe Jesus doesn't pick you up. You know, maybe, maybe love, maybe God, maybe Christ says, you know what, I'm going to walk into this with you and I'm going to suffer with you and I'm going to love you and it's going to be okay and we're going to do this together. And even if, uh, even if this is the end, even if there's no super frilly happy ending, though no hand of God from the sky. I'm here with you, and we're going to suffer through this together. And um, I know this is a little bit apropos, I guess, kind of tying in with last week, all the stuff that Jay's been going through. You know, when... I guess I can say that I'm getting a little bit choked up. Well, I guess I can say this now, because he's said it publicly. Um, you know, when, when he uh, tried to overdose, you know, maybe Christ was was there with him in some way, suffering the same way that he was. Maybe when Jay woke up in the hospital, maybe, you know, Christ was in the bed next to him. And maybe Christ literally was in the form 
of his friends, like of uh, of Brian, who came down, uh, who who or came up, I guess, from Texas, who, who flew here to be with Jay, to suffer with Jay, to hold him and and say it's going to be okay, and maybe, you know, maybe Christ in the form of of the body and in the form of love is is here in in this room happening right now um which which is encouraging maybe uh it will maybe can encourage us to be that for each other and to see that in each other and to uh promote that in the world to to people we love and to people we don't even know um so it's kind of disjointed, but that's my take on Daniel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to end with one little, we'll throw some David in here. We'll do a little uh, Psalms real quick to wrap her up. This is a nice one. This is Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know, I get uncomfortable when people know everything about me. There's some stuff I'm not proud of. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. And this is me uh, interjecting a little bit here. But you know when I'm depressed. You know when I'm sad. You know when I'm a bad friend. You know when I'm selfish. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it. You go before me, and you follow me. That's interesting. You go before me, and you follow me. You show me the direction to go. And then if I veer off in another direction, you're following me there. You're not dismissing me. You're following me into the furnace, into the lion's den, into the hospital bed where I'm recovering from whatever it is. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. And this is the ver- this is the f- the phrase that I really wanted to emphasize. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Which the this is why this verse popped in my head is because the translation that I grew up with is if I go into Sheol to hell. If I go into hell. You are there. I could ask the darkness. To, uh, this is skipping ahead. I, I could ask the darkness to hide me in the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Uh, let's skip ahead a little bit more. Um, you watch me. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. So, yeah, that's, um, I guess that's kind of my talk, is uh, even when we're in hell, even when we're trudging through our doubts, which has been the theme of my spirituality the past uh, two years in particular, three years or so, is doubts, um, which I think has been a very healthy and, again, to use the term, edifying experience. Um, even 
in my darkness, in my doubts, in my hell, you are there. And not pushing me back onto the right track, but following me and empathizing with me and sympathizing and, yeah, following me. I trip and fall off a cliff. Maybe Jesus doesn't, you know, use his superpowers and fly down there and pick me up. Maybe he jumps with me. He's like, hey, we'll see how this will how this will turn out, and I'll be there with you no matter what. And I think that that's an example that is a an archetype. I think that we can strive for, and that is is productive. So that's all I got for today. Um, love you guys. Thanks for being here. Um, sorry we were late. It happens. It's life. Say la vie. Say la vie. Um, yeah. Love you all a lot. You know what? I'm going to break the streak. I'm going to say a prayer. It's been a long time since we've done that. So please close your eyes and bow your heads. Come up to the altar here. and I'll lay my hands on you, and you'll feel real squirmy and wiggly and warm inside. Yeah, I want to say a prayer. Um, God, thank you for being love to us and showing us love and the example of love and However abstract or literal that is, I am grateful that that concept exists and is shown to me and demonstrated to me, um, especially in this group of people, in uh, in my friends, in people who I could I could I could list off every uh, you know millions of favors that every single person that I see here ever does for me, and um, I think that that is us showing you to each other. So. Amen, I guess. I guess we could, if anyone wants to, we can stick around and, and, and chit-chat. I know it's getting late, but uh, if you want, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, and we always got to say, Revolution's a not-for-profit. So uh, if, you can, if you're an online listener, uh, our website is now a million times better, easier to navigate. Uh, you can send us a donation. We appreciate it. But as always, and we mean this, we say it all the time, but it's because we mean it. We'd rather have you than your money. And we love you. So thanks. That was a post-Christian podcast.